This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Now, obviously, you know, everything's up in the air right now. And when things are disrupted and when things are difficult, often our experience of those things is driven by what's the worst that could happen. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So we're talking about between two worlds. So you ask the question, what's the worst that could happen? Like right now, what's the worst that could happen? Um, oh, yeah. I forgot what I was going to... First, I should really intro and tell you what we're talking about, because it's kind of relevant. Otherwise, it just seems like this total doom and gloom. Like, oh, well, are we just going to hear, come here and hear a church service on what's the worst that could happen? But it fits in. So we're talking about the near-death experience. Um, has everyone heard of near-death experience? Yeah. I would say that my life is different because of near-death experiences, and not because I've had one, but because the picture of life that they paint. And that that is, you can think of it as this niche thing that's happened to somebody over there. Maybe you've seen a YouTube video where somebody's telling their experience. Or maybe you do know someone. They're actually more common than you might think. But it seems like, okay, it's something out there. But really, it's, it's about reality. What they're experiencing, if it's objective, is what we're all primed to experience. It's what's sitting up and around this room that we're in right now, this experience that we're in right now. So in the context of that, I want to ask, yeah, so what's the worst that could happen? And everybody's got different fears, but if you get down to the core of it, if we were just to say, like, hand out a piece of paper and write down what's the worst thing that could happen right now, I don't know, maybe, like, the ceiling falls in, a tornado comes through, something where we die, right? And isn't that generally what's, what's tugging at us when we're thinking about what's the worst that could happen? I got to tell you, not to get real on you or anything, but I've had a couple of weeks here of what's the worst that could happen because I've really been getting hammered by like this heartburn episode. And that might sound like, that's not that bad, but it's just like this incredible... Cr- chronic thing that's popping up and I can't sleep. I barely slept last night. I was up at like three walking around this, the sidewalks here in Bernathan, close to this building, thinking about when I would be in here because you got to walk to try to get it to calm down. Right. And there's the, there's the thing itself, but then there's the fear around it. And you're sort of, there's this, always this specter of what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that this could lead to? And when, Heartburn, I don't think, really has the, the specter of mortality around it. But whenever you're in a situation, there's what's the worst that could happen. So I thought, if we, if we can agree that in a lot of situations, death is what's kind of seen as the worst case scenario, if we can change how we think of death, what cascading effect will that have on the rest of life? Right, so let's. I would the way I'd put it is I'd say let's let's raise the floor. If death is kind of like the floor of life, like this is the worst. Well, if the worst is not actually as bad as it appears, I'm not saying life is going to be great. Life is very difficult, and and maybe more difficult now than it's been in quite some time. But I don't think it's as bad 
as we think it is. And having that hope and having that understanding that there is something brighter around it, I think, um, is gives you a kind of medicine for life that nothing else really can. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so in particular, I wanted to go through the near-death experience. And, and before we even get into it, highlight, I mean, the term near-death experience was coined by Raymond Moody, Dr. Raymond Moody. And he was, I was sitting on the, this stage with him not that long ago. When I say not that long ago, it was probably six years or five years or something like that. But he came here and did an event where he was talking about some of his research and work. And he, we owe, you know, I owe him a great debt of gratitude because he was the one who, who didn't create near-death experiences, but he gave people a forum in which they could talk about what happened to them at the hospital or, or when they were going through some of the darkest things in life. And I want to hold on that for a second, that the near-death experience is not just, I was sitting there and suddenly everything was great. It's this juxtaposition of this really difficult, painful situation that people are in, where they're, they're in a car crash or they're drowning or the worst is happening. And it happens. And, and there's often after them, there's all kinds of real painful recovery. There's still this stuff that's happening. But yet, right on the other side of it, there's this amazing beauty and peace and safety. And I was thinking of it as I, you know, walking around at three in the morning, like, oh, what is, how can I, what's happening to me? Thinking of why isn't God, if God's out there and there's love and light everywhere, why isn't God just undoing this moment? But I think there's something in the near-death experience to show that e- the love is there, but sometimes it's just right on the other side. That it's really there, but that this, this world we're in here is, is structured enough that we, even, even though there's the love out there, or I would say the fact that it can be messed up here doesn't mean the love's not out there on the other side. So I want to start talking, I want to take you through some key near-death experience concepts and things that have been helpful to me and hopefully load you up with stuff you can take out into your world. And something that should augment whatever belief in God you have, whatever belief in life after death you have. To me, having these fill it out, well, that's exactly what they did. They filled it out. They brought it to life. Because you can hear, oh, you know, God loves you. God's taking care of you. Which can just be words. But when you get to hear from people who just saw that for themselves and saw the nature of it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like even reading about those experiences. To me, I feel like I, you, you just you, you enter a little bit of heaven just doing it. So I want to start. I have a lot of books here because I heard that people don't use books much anymore. So I thought I'd bring them back in style. And this book is called Life After Life. And this is where the, near, the term near-death experience started. This is a foundational book. Before I knew what a near-death experience was, I picked this up and started to read and, yeah, I, so I really like holding this hand mic, and I'm also having these books, so I, I made my bed, and I have to lie in it now. You're going to see me, like, fumbling around, which is just like, oh, presenter awkwardness. It happens. I think it's okay. This is just two quick excerpts told by two different people about this worst thing that happens, that can possibly happen, the experience of being in a mortal situation. At the point of injury, there was a momentary flash of pain. But then, all the pain vanished. 
I had the feeling of floating in a dark space. The day was bitterly cold, yet while I was in that blackness, all I felt was warmth and the most extreme comfort I have ever experienced. So what does that lead him to think? I remember thinking, I must be dead. So think about that, that here we are, and we're afraid of the unknown, and, we're, and death is, is sad. And as I talk about all this death, I'm not, meant to, I'm not trying to say that death doesn't pull apart people that love each other, and that, we don't, we, you know, that, that part of what we fear in fearing death is the impact it will have on those that we love if we were to go or they were to go, you know. And I can't talk that away. I mean, that's real. But there is an element of just you're scared. You're scared for yourself. And when somebody you love goes, you're, you're scared for them because you think about them and, and wanting them to be happy and wanting them to feel comforted and free. And so where are they? What are they doing? The most extreme comfort I have ever experienced that's the worst thing in life, could be worse. A woman who was resuscitated after a heart attack remarks, I began to experience the most wonderful feelings. I couldn't feel a thing in the world except peace, comfort, ease, just quietness. And notice this, these, they're talking about comfort. They're not talking about, I experienced a short-circuiting and a loss of sensory input. Or I experienced being a biological machine that's evaporating and coming apart. Now, this, these are people having emotionally, intel, like there's an emotional intelligence to what they're being put through, right? And, and to think of what it takes to comfort someone, that's not easy, especially when somebody's going through something that difficult. So if you think about what, it, what the nature of this sort of welcome that you get, they're talking in these terms of like where we're all trying to get in life, which is to feel comfort and ease, just quietness. I felt that all my troubles were gone. And I thought to myself, well, how quiet and peaceful, and I don't hurt at all. So, that's just a primer to the amazing way in which it changes how we think of life. And, and if you start to think of, oh, what's over there is actually even better than here, it takes some of the fear out of living here. Because you know that feeling if you're sprinting and you feel like, oh, I just can't go any farther. But if you're sprinting and the finish line is there, you can go farther. So just when, when I'm you know, suffering in this life here, which happens, which I think happens to all of us quite a bit, when I think about, well, look, what this is all leading to is total happiness and total peace and total comfort. That you know, steals my resolve to come and do things and go through things and, and get through it. It doesn't make me feel like, well, I just wish I was out. For some reason, it makes me just feel like, okay, well, I can do this. I, I know that relief is on the way. I can do this. So I want to move, and I have to be conscious of the time because there's so many great experiences that have moved me and great principles from those that I would hope could move all of you. But I'm just going to give you a few. The next I want to talk, a person I want to talk about is Dr. Mary Neal. And the, the near-death experience world is relatively small. So I've gotten the chance to meet with a lot of these people. I was speaking at a conference in Austin about near-death experiences. Now, I, again, I haven't had one, so how did I get in there? Well, I was talking about Emanuel Swedenborg and that the fact that back in the 1700s when he was recording 
that what he saw, when he saw angels and God, that it's remarkably, and we'll see this attestified to by one of the founders of the near-death experience movie, movement, is that it's, it's the same. It's the same world. People are seeing the same reality across time. So I was there talking about that, but Mary Neal was there, and she was, I got to have lunch with her and dinner, hang out a bit with her and the other presenters, and just what a, uh, even though she's a best-selling author, she's a doctor, uh, very grounded, very friendly, very thoughtful person. And I want to um, read a little excerpt. Again, this is me fumbling with this bookmark here. How was that? Okay. So, this is a little bit of actually, it was an interview she gave to the guy who wrote this book, which is called Imagine Heaven. Um, and actually, this is a fascinating story, this book here, because this is a, by a, like a megachurch pastor named John Burke, who's in Austin, Texas. And what he was trying to do is there's sometimes sort of a standoff between Christianity and near-death experiences, because Christians will wonder, are these legit? I mean, are these, do these fit with my doctrine? And he was, his mission is to say, look, this adds this amazing color to this thing that you're, that you're thinking about, the idea that you're going to live after death, the idea that you're going to be with the Lord. What's that actually like? If you don't have a picture of it, you can't lean on it. Right? You can't get excited about it. You can't use it for comfort. So this whole book is him testimonial after testimonial about near-death experiences and then relating it to what he finds in the Bible. But this is Mary Neal. I just want to read this little excerpt. And this is during her near-death experience. I also had this, for me, very profound understanding of how it can be true that God actually knows each and every one of us, all the billions of us on the planet, loves each and every one of us as though we are the only ones, and has a plan for each and every one of our lives that's one of hope. Think about feeling that as a reality. You th- you, God knows you, yeah, but you just feel like one invisible person in a giant world, and you feel like as you struggle with things in your life and you're asking God for help, it just feels like, it can feel like, man, I'm, I'm surplus humanity. I, this, this experiment is too big, nobody's here taking care of me. But for her to come back and say, look, this is, this is literally true, and, and that God is not just loving you it, one nine billionth of the way. You know, like, okay, there's so many people and I've got to take these ones over here and do this. But somehow, because God is God and is outside time and is outside space and can do things that are unimaginably cool, God is loving every one of us as if we were the only one. I don't know, I've, I've thought at times, like, wouldn't it be easier if it was just me and God and God could just take care of me and and, you know, comfort me and do all that stuff. Well, I think it's there, you know. God can do that. And it's just cool to think about Mary. There's a lot of other stuff she pulled out of her experience, but that was something that stuck with her. So, and I t- want to take, I'm taking you a little bit through my journey when I started reading near-death experiences, because it was at a time when I was a much younger man, if you can believe it, and I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety and this kind of stuff. And 
I was needing comfort. So I started turning to these books. And one of the first ones I read was one called Return from Tomorrow. Return from Tomorrow by George Ritchie. For a long time after I read it, I couldn't remember the author's name. And whenever I would try to tell someone about it, because I would tell people about these books, I would say, yeah, it's, it's, the author's name is, I think it's Guy Ritchie. And everyone would be like, no. And so finally I learned, oh no, Guy Ritchie didn't write a near-death experience book. So George Ritchie, uh, again, we've got an excerpt from him in here. So and this is cool. This is, uh, I hope that you guys love this, like I love reading these things, like imagining the, the truth behind them. This, what, what this one does that's so exquisite is it shows the this, this psychological, personal dimension of our relationship with God. It's not just God looks down and sees, have you done this? Have you gone to church at this point? What emanated from this presence was unconditional love. This is Guy, Guy Ritchie, George Ritchie in the presence of God. Guy Ritchie will get there too. I don't even know if I know who that is. What emanated from this presence was unconditional love, an astonishing love. This love, this love knew the quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, just think about it. You have any of this stuff in your life that you feel like, wow, this is, nobody can f- forgive me for that. The thoughts I could never control and love me just the same. I saw myself turning away when my stepmother bent over to kiss me goodnight, saw the very thought itself, I'm not going to love this woman. My mother died. Miss Williams went away. If I love her, she'll leave too. I watched myself at age 10 standing at that same dining room window while dad went to the hospital to bring home mother and our new brother Henry saw myself deciding before I ever saw him that I was not going to like this newcomer. Every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. The good, the bad, the high points, the run of the mill. And with this all-inclusive view came a question. It was implicit in every scene and like the scenes themselves, this is if you haven't heard of it, something that people call the life review, which is where they'll describe it in a lot of different ways, but just picture your, you know, you're up in the command center of the ship in Star Trek, and there's all these screens in front of you, and you can see all this different stuff happening at once. But this, people talk about it being panoramic around them, and it's you. It's your whole life. And people can experience this their whole life in a very short time, but with amazing depth. And they will see not just what it was like for them to be them, but what it was like for everyone else. So I'll get to come here to this moment and see how boring this could have been, you know, potentially if I'm boring you right now. Okay. Oh, I should have said this instead of that. I shouldn't have made so many Guy Ritchie jokes. So every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. The good, the bad, the high points, the run of the mill. And with this all-inclusive view came a question. It was implicit in every scene and, like the scenes themselves, seemed to proceed from the living light beside me. He was not asking about accomplishments and awards. The question, like everything else proceeding from him, had to do with love. How much have you loved with your life? He's not saying... I have a list here of everything you've done wrong. It's, 
hey, look, I know where we can go. So, and there's so much more. I'm hoping that I can inspire some of you to pick up some of these books because you've got to have this logged in if you don't already because it really is something you can, you can lean on. And one last one before we get to our break. I want to talk about Howard Storm, Reverend Howard Storm. Um, we just had an interview with him on the YouTube channel that I run uh, for, for Swedenborg Foundation. And he had this remarkable near-death experience. He wrote a book called My Descent into Death, um, which I think we have a slide of up there. We have, um, and it is remarkable because it has this extremely harsh, dark beginning to it. So Howard was a self-described total jerk. He'll say that, that he was very self-centered, he was mean, and he had this experience where it didn't start out with love. It started out with uh, the, the dark night of the soul, and he was sort of bullied and, and tortured by these people that were really, in the end, he said, were just like him. And in that darkness, he calls out to God, God comes, and overall, it, it becomes this amazingly positive thing. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from an, an interview again that, that he did. I got two quotes from him. So, and I'm thinking, there's no hope. There's no way out. I am in the bottom of the pit of hopelessness and despair and self-pity. This memory comes of myself as a little boy, sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus loves me. And I could see myself vividly, so innocent, so sweet, so naive, so simple, and feeling what I felt when I was a little boy, maybe eight or nine years old. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. But more important than the words was what I felt as a little boy. This simple, this beautiful Superman figure, he's talking about Jesus, better than Superman, loved me, cared about me. And when I prayed to him, he took care of me. And you know, the alligators under the bed and the bears in the closet and the witches in the halls and all those things you're afraid of when you're a little boy. I had prayed to Jesus, they'd go away, they'd stop. But I'd put all that behind me. I, did not, I had denied it all and mocked it all. And now all of a sudden, it was all I had. I had nothing else. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel of what might be possible, so I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, the cool thing is, you, I can. there's many times when I've asked God, like, come on, help me out here. And life always finds a way, but not like this. I mean, this is when, when we're in the right spot. This is what God always wants to do when we're saying that. And when I said that, I saw a light, a tiny little speck of light, and it rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful light. And they reached me and they touched me. And in that light, I became whole. And much more significant than me, to me than the physical healing that I was experiencing, a love that I was experiencing, a love that's far beyond words. I've never been able to articulate it, but I could say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and con- could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure the intensity of the love that I was feeling. And when those arms went on me and healed me, they went behind my back and he picked me up as if it were no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me against him real tight up against his chest 
So there I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am sobbing with my head buried in his chest like a mom or dad with a child. And now, you know, talking to Howard after that, he says that he feels like, he chokes up whenever he thinks about it. He just says like, Jesus is my best friend. And I'm so lucky that he's there. And I think that if you think about what's the core of the hope of all of religion and spirituality, it's, what's the, what, what are we all like pushing for in humanity? It's, it's that kind of love and that kind of hope and safety and redemption and closeness that that's out there and it's possible. And what everybody says is that, yeah, it's there. It's there even though we can't see it feel it here at a lot of times when we feel like we need it. So let's pause. Let's pause and listen to a song. Let that settle in a bit, and I'll be back with how this ties in to New Church Theology and uh, a little tie into a, a biblical idea that we can take with us. Awesome. Okay, so... I want to tell you a little story about where I was when I started getting into near-death experiences uh, initially. So I had been very heavily into new church theology, or the writings of Swedenborg, that underlie and you know, brought into being new church life. And at the time, though, I was 18 or 19, and the concepts were pretty heady, and pretty philosophical, and I was, again, like I said, I was struggling with depression and anxiety, and I was really pushing myself to try to cope with things through that. It became too much, and I needed to get out of my head. I needed to get out of that stuff, right? And so when I was looking at all these near-death experiences, I was really like, I was like, i got to get out of this new church theology. It's too much. So I went out and found that stuff. But... And that was exactly what I needed at the time. And it fed my soul. But as I started to read it all and learn it all and piece together the world that they were describing, I came to what I would call Swedenborg's revenge. Because as it turns out, as I mentioned before, it's the same world that they're describing. Actually, I've got a a book here called Tunnel to Eternity. And this is all about the similarities between this hundreds of year old uh, accounts in Swedenborg's experiences with the modern near-death phenomenon. And there's actually a foreword in this book written by Kenneth Ring, who Kenneth Ring is the co-founder of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, which that is the premier categorization, the premier organization around near-death experiences, like the leads in the study of them and the you know, it has the conferences around them. So he was writing in this introduction, which we'll read in a second, uh, about how they're connected. And why that matters is it's an encouragement that it's it's really real. Because if people got somehow whisked out of their bodies and sent to Bernathan, a couple hundred years apart, you would think that while maybe not everything is the same, You'd hope they'd both be saying, like, yeah, there was, there was trees and there was this big hill here. 
you should be able to see convergence. So the convergence is really exciting. So I'll give you um, just a little bit. Well, he just makes a really strong strong statement in his foreword. Um, Leon, in an article expressly, Leon is uh, Leon Rhodes is the author of this. In an article expressly commissioned for one of the first issues of the Journal of Near Death Studies, made ably made clear that whereas the typical NDEer is blessed with a fleeting glimpse of the after-death realms, lasting in most cases not more than a moment or two. Swedenborg, because he could journey there at will, and did so repeatedly during the last 27 years of his life, could and did provide a comprehensive picture of the world that the NDE only foreshadows. And that's why I've, I've been invited to these conferences. I've spoken at the IANS conference, at this... Uh, the Wisdom of the Near-Death Experience Conference in Austin, because even when you have those amazing experiences, what you're looking for is, what do I do now? How do I put this into a framework where I can you know, change my life moment to moment? How does, this, how does the bigger picture make sense? How do we bring that out and bring that together? So what I found, so I back into my you know, 20-year-old self, I gained the emotional potency and relevance of what the actual interaction is when you look at these near-death experiences. Oh, that's what love is like at these most dramatic levels. You know, oh, that's what the comfort is like of, of going there. And then take to take that then and put it into the framework that you find in New Church Theology, which t- gives you useful tools and explains how things work. Then that's love and wisdom coming together. And it's really potent. So now when I look at anything. This is Swedenborg's Heaven and Hell. And I don't know if you can see that, but the cover's super ripped up because there was a flood in our basement and this book was in the basement. But uh, I love it so much I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, so he talks about peace. And I want to give you a sense of how this, this can inspire and does inspire me to uh, be realize that all that amazing stuff, all that love and that comfort and that closeness is not something, it's not something that we get to feel a lot here, but it is something that we are in, like that we are working to create. The the work you're putting in now, all the grind of, yeah, I got to not snap at this person. I got to try to be nice to this person. I got to get through this. That that is like you're sticking money into this retirement account. That at the time it feels like I could have spent that on something. You know, I could have gone and just, and just snapped back at that person and got that momentary feeling of like, okay, great. I won that one. Um, instead, I'm trying to be good. Whatever it is, it's hard for me to think of morality examples on the spot, but you know what I'm talking about. Really, when we're doing that, we're, we're saving up. We, we are creating this amazing spiritual savings that, that while it's here, we experience a little, but at one point, you're going to feel it face-to-face, you know, like these people did. So, uh, yeah. Heavenly or angelic peace occurs in us when we are attuned to wisdom because of the union of the good and true, and therefore see ourselves as contented in God. The only, the only real peace, how do you get peace? Is this, like, I, I know that this is going somewhere good. I know that God is going to steer this ship well. 
However, as long as we are living in this world, that peace lies hidden in our depths. Still, it is unveiled when we leave our bodies behind and enter heaven, because then those depths are opened. So you think about, yeah, it just, can it seem like there's just, it's high risk, low reward, trying to follow the spiritual path, right? Or trying to develop this relationship with God, develop relationships with others. But then to understand that that is in your depths, that's in there, right? Like it's in, in the savings account is not a very ro- romantic sounding example. It's, it's in your heart, okay? It's in there. And it's not just always going to be inaccessible. There's a time, I think about when Jesus said, like there's a time when I'll tell you plainly about the Father, and the Father being this divine love for everyone. There's a time when I know right now we're in life and things are confusing and they're weird and they're painful, but it's not always going to be like that. There's a time, we're doing something important here, but there's a time when love is just going to get to be what it wants to be and God is going to get to hold us like, like God wants to hold us. So, that said, I want to talk about a, a, my, one of my favorite passages in the Bible that I feel like relates here. And I want to, before I get to it, and then you can, see, you can see the progress that we made here. It's pretty good, right? Bookworms. Um, so since we're just talking about New Church Theology and, and Swedenborg's writings, there is this phenomenal concept that Swedenborg has about that we all have angels who are with us. Okay, a lot of people say that, but he says that even beyond like the, the connection that we have angels with us, we we have angels that have favorite, every, different groups of angels have different favorite parts of the Bible. And that because because what the Bible is, is it has this deep meaning about all this stuff that we're getting into here where, where people are talking about the, the the love and the depth of love and the all the pain, you know, all the tears being wiped away, that is really the core of the message in there, even though the Bible is a great example of this, because doesn't it seem like, you know, what we're looking for is this deep love, but a lot of parts of the Bible are this strange, bizarre, painful, confusing thing. People are going, having wars, this doesn't make any sense, am I comfortable with that? That the the Bible, but yet there's this inner heart to it. It's just like us, you know, just like our life. That it's it's all. Why is this happening now? And why couldn't this have stopped? And why couldn't this happen instead? But in the heart, you know, the heart is good. So it is with the the Bible. So there are angels. The, the heaven that's with us is connected to the inner sense, like the the meaning and the heart of what's in there. And I think you can feel that sometimes because don't. Don't people have particular Bible passages that they just feel? And I have, this is one of my ones that, that I feel the most. And it's not, it's very related to near death experiences, but I just don't even know if that's why I love it. There's some that I just don't even know. It's just the emotion of them. And I think maybe it's because my angels get what that's about, you know, and they're, they're passing it along. So this is from Gospel Luke. And it's the story of when, it's actually the story of crucifixion, when Jesus is talking to the, the criminal. So I'll do, this is Luke 39 to 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, 
save yourself and us. But the other one answer, this is not my favorite part yet. It's just really the last two verses. But the other one answering, although this is a pretty good lead in, something, just something about like the wistful nature of it. But the other one answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And this is my phrase. I'm getting choked out. I can't even just like be professional and read this because something about it, the sentiment there, this is talking about that love. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's so cool. Isn't that what we're asking? It's like, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, we're talking there about the same thing Howard Storm felt. He was right there in paradise. The same thing these people who are going through these terrible things feel. And they're right there. But I think it applies to us today in whatever you're going through, even if you're not having a near-death experience, that there's that immediacy that God is trying to put forward to us you know, and say, look, uh, I love you now. Things are okay now at some level, even if you don't know it. So I want to end with your stories. Uh, so I, uh, Angela helped me send out an email to the New Church Live congregation before this talk. Because I wanted to show that, that having these spiritual experiences is not rare. It's not just for somebody out there. There's people even who, who maybe come here or watch online with you who've had these experiences. So I'm going to say we got, we got enough time. Luckily, I'll try to read these. Uh, we have four of them um, that people were willing in. And uh, some people wanted their names used, some didn't, so I'll do that accordingly. So just think, these are just, this, is, this is just regular real people. And just see that same love coming through there. This is from Hannah. When my oldest was a newborn, he would randomly smile and almost giggle. I would feel a strong presence from Uncle Gary, who had passed away. It felt like Uncle Gary was entertaining him the way he would with the kiddos when he was alive. The same child asked me who Brio was when we were driving home one day. We had been chatting about making cookies for Daddy, and he said we should make some for Brio, too. Brio is what we had nicknamed our first baby that we mis- miscarried. And we had never said that name in front of him. Also, more recently, after my dad passed, the same child explained to me that Grandpa Justin's house was in his bedroom. And he had fun playing with him. And don't you think that, you know, that grandfather who passed away wanted nothing more than to peek through and give this little kid who's open in some way this, this little bit of love. Oh, wait. I was a little premature on my paper stacking. This is from Kathy. I've had several of these experiences. I don't know, normally share them, but here it goes. Part of what I want to do, too, is Make you know try to decrease the stigma around it because it's happening right and it's it's what we need to hear. I was at home waiting for my aunt to visit as she normally did every afternoon when I sensed her saying goodbye. 
I found out days later that she had died at that precise time. One particularly startling event happened after I found out a friend had died. I was driving home alone from being told about his passing, and he appeared in the passenger seat of my car. He looked like he always did without speaking aloud, and he said he just wanted to let me know he was okay. I knew he shouldn't be there, so I looked away, and when I looked back, he was gone. I've seen my grandmother and my brother, but the experiences were a little less intense. These type of visits probably happen more than we know or are willing to acknowledge. And see, it doesn't even have to be that your life is in danger, that there are these experiences happening all the time. This is number three. I don't know how to put this into words exactly so it sounds valid, so you probably can't use this. I'm using it. But it's definitely taken me off guard. I talk to my horse a lot. And every time I start talking about a subject very dark, she stops and turns toward me, looks me in the eyes and nudges me. It's strange behavior for her and has happened a few times over the years. It always takes me by surprise and stops my train of thought. Then I realize what I was talking about. Then I just feel stunned and have no words. It happened recently where her odd behavior made me stop and think about what I just said and felt like, wow, it reminds me I'm not alone in this this battle called life. I ask her, do you know what I'm saying? This animal knows and is an angel. I'm sure of it. Okay, one more. This is, we got this beautiful story submitted by Joseph called A Mother's Voice, which I had to just excerpt some parts out of it, um, but I think he linked it to a Facebook page, a New Church Live's Facebook page, so take a look if you can find it. Um, just really heartfelt and really beautiful. So he says, this is, this is coming in in the story, even now I can barely reflect on that day. As my inside begins to ache and tears fill my eyes, If there was any consolation, Joey was at his cousin's that evening for a sleepover. Joey's his son. But the hardest thing I could have ever imagined was to get my son the next morning and tell him his mother was gone. In the ensuing days and weeks, I assured my son if he would trust and listen to his daddy, Jesus would help him each day. And Joey did, and Jesus did. Each morning, as I sat at the computer, Joey would awake, come into my office, and climb onto my lap with his head on my chest like the day he heard the awful news. Now I was singing songs of the Lord and holding him close. At that moment, and so this is farther along, at that moment in the car when Joey exclaimed, Stop, I hear Mommy. I immediately stopped singing. I looked in the rearview mirror and saw my son gazing upward, eyes glistening. Joey was hearing the sound of his mother's voice. The aura and presence of the Lord was thick and all-consuming, but oh so sweet. There we were, suspended for but a moment in the presence of the Lord. I never said a word, and I kept driving home. Before this event occurred, and even now, Joey would say, What did you say, Daddy? I hadn't said a word. But when we would talk about his mother in the evenings, I would tell Joey not to be afraid if he heard Mommy's voice. Little did I realize. A few days after Joey heard the voice of his mother in the car, I said to Joey, Mommy spoke to you, didn't she? He hesitated, so I said, you don't, need, you don't need to tell me. Daddy already knows. Tell me, Joey exclaimed. This is what I said to Joey. Mom, mommy called out your name and said, Joey, sweetheart, can you hear me? And Joey said, how did you know? I responded, I just know. So there you have, in the middle of one of the most terrible situations you can think of, there's that love there. 
and there's love for everybody in the situation doesn't mean that it's not hard. But what it does mean, what is true, is that right on the other side there, as brilliant as what Howard Storm was describing, when Jesus is coming there in this light, is that there is that love right there. And it's taking care of us. And it's our next stop. You know? Like that is what's all around everything. And think of it when you need it and believe in it and let it encourage you to say, okay, whatever we're going through here, we can keep going because everything's going to be fine. And that's, uh, that's the message of the near-death experience. And I hope you'll check some more out for yourselves. So I'm going to, let's do a quick prayer and then we'll have our final song. Please, Lord, show us that love that's right there. If you're right there, we're right here, and we're listening. Let us hear your voice when we can, and when we can't, let us trust that there is a reason, and the trust that the love is just as strong. Connect us with those that we love who have moved on. Connect us with those that we love who are here now. Thank you for showing glimpses of yourself in all these different ways to us. Keep our eyes open for every time you show us yourself, the love you have for us, and the plans you have for us of hope. Hear now the silent words of our hearts. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 